All right. Attempt number five. <laughs> All right. Welcome to Cannon Snakes in the Olympico. My name is Ryan Barry. I'm joined today with Elliot. Um, and we're going to talk about just have an open conversation about the United States men's national team. Danielle's not going to be joining us today. We're going to be posting a full women's discussion another time with her involved. But um, so, Elliot, I'll just get right down to business. What changes would you make in U.S. soccer? All right, let's go again. Um, so first thing first, uh, eliminate the coaching staff right now, um, at least from the men's point of view. Um, I want European experience. I want some level of the, the European level. Um, not necessarily the best in the world, but just someone who's who at least had challenged themselves at, in Europe in, in, one, in some country. Um, and beyond that, I think that I, I think I, I don't only want being sort of um, small amounts of MLS players being included in the squad. On top of that, anyone who was on the squad uh, that uh, didn't make the World Cup, who has sort of been a regular, I want them gone. I want all new people. I want young uh, players who are playing in Europe. And the reason uh, I think that is because with the U.S. Um, national team, the way it's set up, a lot of it, they're being played as individuals um, and they need to be playing as a team. So I want to get the right coach in with the European experience and surround the team with European players. And it doesn't necessarily need to be Germany and the England and Italy and, and countries like that. Any European uh, level is acceptable for me. Just um, You want to be getting challenged week in and week out and you see – in, the, in Germany with the Bundesliga guys and then in, in France with uh, Timothy Ware, who's having to deal with people like uh, Mbappe and um, Neymar and people like that on a regular basis. And I think those challenges will sort of make them more equipped to handle the, the international challenges that the U.S. Uh, will, will have to deal with with this. So my, my main point is just putting more European style into this, just a a coach that has at least been proven in Europe and players who are playing in Europe consistently. I'm okay with taking a few MLS players, maybe three or four, but that's, that's the extent of it for me. So as far as the international aspect, that's where I'm with that. With the MLS, I'd like to break it down a little bit. If they, if we keep the same sort of structure, I would like to go back to the, the two legged playoff for when they do the playoffs instead of just the, the winner-take-all every game. Um, I think that was more effective. It was more entertaining that way um, just because, you know, this, uh, the system that they ran this last year, I think, was less effective. Um, beyond that, I would, I would personally break MLS 1 and MLS 2 into two groups, uh, you know, the, the newly promoted teams um, and – or sorry, not newly promoted, new, new teams that in, in the league in the MLS – and then um, stop the expansions completely because there's just too many teams right now, um, unless we're going to break it down to two leagues. And I would have promotion and relegation for these two leagues. And um, that's sort of where I see it, just because I know it's you have to keep some American parts of it. But for me, that's the way I think it, sh it should be run because there'll be more sort of uh, desire and um, – there would be a self of urgency for some of the teams that are closer to the bottom. And I, I don't know, I'm not a big fan of the super draft. So it'd be hard to sort of figure out how you'd work that into the whole, you know, extravaganza. But 
my main points here are putting more European stuff into this. Not totally, but just sort of having that a different way of looking at it just because the national team plays into, as individuals. And if you put these components in place, they'll be more team-oriented um, team. And I agree with a lot of those things. So, first off, I think players like Jordan Morris, me and you, always criticize him for only playing in Seattle Sounder. He had a tryout in Werder, correct? Yeah, Warner Brand. And, and he decided to go home because of his dog. We all know that story. Yeah, um, he was offered he was offered a, a place on the team and he turned it down. Yeah, because of his dog and he wanted to be close to mom. And I get the family issue and stuff, but you're a professional football player. I mean, why don't you, as an athlete, just me personally, why don't you want to challenge yourself to the best of your abilities? Yeah, 100%. I think that's that's my biggest issue with sending you. You look at the other side of the coin, you see Tyler Adams, who've done the basically the exact opposite. He did some MLS stuff, and the second he had a chance to leave, he, he, he bounced. Um, to challenge himself in Europe. And even though he's been injured and stuff, I think it's it's a move that's going to benefit him more so, which is why I sort of don't look at Jordan Morris the same way, just because of what his options were. And, I mean, look at even, like, some of the Canadian players. Like, I mean, I know their players nowhere on the level of U.S., but look at somebody like Alfonso Davies. Played for Vancouver Whitecaps, dominated, and he challenged himself in one of the biggest clubs in the world and is starting every game. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. And we're, we're, I don't think me and you're asking for people to go to Bayern Munich and Manchester United. I think no, we're, asking, we're asking like um, I don't, Frankfurt, that level. You know yeah. what I mean? Frank, Frankfurt, Southampton, uh, um, Verona, like the teams like this. Not, yeah. We're not looking at the Real Madrid stuff, but just a, a decent team in Europe. Because even if you like, you look at like some of the World Cup winners and stuff in the past, like not every player on that team is at a top level club. You know, right? Like um, especially the German side, they had some people at Frankfurt, they had some people at Werner, they had some people at Schalke. You know, I mean, good clubs, but they're not ever going to be competing for a championship, right? I mean, and that makes me think of of the the French team, um, the defender who scored that crazy goal against I, I forget his name um, against uh, Argentina. He at that time he was on, uh, at Stuttgart, who was in the second league. He wasn't even playing first division football, and still made the World Cup and scored the best goal of the tournament. Yeah, so I mean, we're not asking for. We, we can even like, for example, like all the guys have gone over to Fulham. Fulham's always floating in and out of the Premier League, but at least they're getting experience in the Championship and in the Premier League to you know play against tougher, better competition. And you know, like guys like Michael Bradley and that, because and we will get passionate. <laughs> Guys like Michael Bradley and that that have just stayed at Toronto FC or Josie Altidore, you know, they can't make it over in Europe. Why are we picking these guys that can't make it against top talent in other leagues? Exactly. You know, and I, I think that's that's our issue. We don't. We're not. We're not. The, the bar we're setting is reasonable, and it doesn't need to be the top four leagues. It can be like in Turkey or Russia or whatever. I think I don't. That part I think doesn't matter that much, just because. I just want them experiencing in Europe. And you talked about the Canadian thing. Obviously, the Davies is the big one, but he's he's just different than anyone we've seen from that country. But you have guys, um, uh, Kyle Lauren, who was at uh, Orlando City, one rookie of the year, the MLS. And then it's not, I think he's now in Turkey or Belgium, or at least clubs, and is doing quite well for himself. So um, that's that's what I'd like to see, at least. And the U.S. does have got her doing well in clubs. Like, we got Pulisic. I mean, not even, like, the obvious, like, Pulisic. We got Bobby Wood, who tested himself at Hamburg. I know me and you are yep. both not the biggest fan, but at least he went over there. Uh, DeAndre Eldon yep. plays for Newcastle and excels. You know, Weston McKenney at Schalke. 
uh, Josh Sargent at uh, Werner. So, you know, it's not like we're lacking in European talent. It's just that we need guys to go over there and step up. And that's why having a captain like Michael Bradley, who's only proven himself in the MLS, is ridiculous. Right. I mean, for me, I've, from a captain perspective, I want to see someone with experience in Europe, but also the leadership ability. So when I think, I mean, there's lots of options for captains, at least from the European perspective. But I think John Brooks would be a decent one because he's been in the Bundesliga forever. And he's, I, I just think he has leadership and tangibles that could be really well for this team. But it, even if it's not Brooks, we need someone like that to lead this team because it's not really being led by anyone right now. Yeah, I was thinking, like, you can even have a keeper captain. I was thinking more like a Guzan or a Tim Ream type, you know, people that have proved it over in Europe. And I know what you're saying yeah. about – go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say um, – I just was going to say that I, I agree with those those two choices in theory, but neither one of them are in the number one right now. So I think you have to give the captain to someone who's playing regularly for the team. That's all I'm saying. True. And, you know, like, I know your theory on dumping people didn't make the 2018 World Cup, you know, but and like saying goodbye. But I think guys like Guzan and Reem could at least, you know, give you experience that's needed because you kind of have to have some of the old guard. But I do agree. Dumping guys like Bradley, Altador, you know, um, obviously you keep Pulisic and McKenna and Yeldon, you know, but like dumping like people like that, you know, your Bradley's Altador's. I mean, obviously, Clint Dempsey doesn't play, you know, anymore. Um, Let's see who. I'm drawing a blank. Tim right, Howard right. Tim Howard played at Colorado Rapids. They dumped him, you know. Like, dumping guys like that makes sense, but I think you still need some of, like, that younger, early 30s guys that did it in Europe to be on the team, even if they're not the number ones, to give – I think experience does matter, too. Right. Do you agree? And I don't think you need to dump everyone. I'm just saying the core of it. That was, that was my main point there. I'm okay with holding on to, like, uh, Acosta, who plays for – an MLS team and then Nagby. I'm okay with those two guys still being a part of it. I was just more talking in regards to like the core of that, that team that couldn't beat uh, Tobago in the, um, in the qualifying thing. But I think the majority of them should be uh, shipped or no longer back. So, um, so now it's my turn to go on my, my little tangent. Um, so what I would change right. for U.S. soccer. So the first thing I do is I would give um, Sam Allardyce a two-year contract. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, I think it's a good choice. Um, he's not the greatest manager in the world, but he's he's done very serviceable with uh, teams like Newcastle and Sunderland and West Ham and things like that. Um, but I think that that's a that's a good short term solution to the problems right now. And I think he he'd do a decent job at least to start off. Yeah, because me and your dream manager is David Wagner. Would you agree? Yeah, that that would be that would he'd be my number one choice. Yeah, but right now I don't think he's necessarily ready to take on the U.S. job because he is younger in his 40s, you know, and, like, taking on an international job is, like, a big undertaking, you know, because, like, you're controlling – it's not like controlling a club. You're controlling, like, all of U.S. soccer, you know, who's going to play for the men's team. So I think right now he's better at the club, right. but Allardyce could come in, right the ship for two years. I definitely – if we got him, you think we – it wouldn't be a lock for 2022 qualification, but surely we'd probably – probably about a 90% chance that we qualify in 2022 for the I would, World Cup. I would, I'd say 90% chance. I don't like, because of what happened in the summer, I don't see any, any, regardless of who comes in as a lock, just because from my perspective, I think the last, this last uh, U.S. team was one of the more talented ones we've ever had. And we didn't make the World Cup. So I think there's deeper problems than just um, a better manager. But with someone like that, I think, 
they they at least get to the tournament. Um, I wouldn't say it's a lock, but I'd say it's likely that would they would qualify. Yeah, and you know, the, my other thing I don't get, um, and I people can call this. This will sound like an interesting comment. I'd almost put a ban on hiring MLS and American managers to be the head coach of the national team. I think I think there should have been ban about that years ago. We because after um, Reina had that, or I think it was Reina got them to the quarterfinals in '02 of the World Cup, and then ever since then it steady declined. And then they brought in Jurgen Klinsmann, who I thought was good, but he was controversial, so people don't like him. They got rid of him after losing Costa Rica, which I think was a little ridiculous because no one. The U.S. never goes to their stadium and wins. Like, yeah. every time they've gone, they've lost. So, it wasn't like – I think the, the reason he got fired was because of some of his MLS comments, and he, they got crushed in Costa Rica. Um, yeah. But – and I think the, the expectation is a little unbalanced here. But I agree. I think no MLS guys – you can have coached in the MLS, but it can't be your, your last job, or you have to at least have been in Europe somewhere. You know what I mean? And when they had the options to come and write the ship, um, I get it. But I, I would have almost tried to pry Bob Bradley from LAFC, you know, because he's American. But he's also coached over in the Premier League in Swansea, you know. He was really successful in 2006. He, so if you were looking for a quick band-aid, why did they choose a re- – and I know Bradley had the commitment to LAFC. Why don't you try to pry him away if you were looking for a quick band-aid for qualifying? I get that. And um, he also was in Sweden and took a team that was in near relegation to contention. Um, I don't remember the name of the team. So he's done a few European gigs. The Swansea thing was unfair to him. They didn't even give him a transfer window. Um, and they got – he just they just got rid of him too quickly. Yeah. Um, I don't think that team was going up anyway or going being going to be – they weren't going to survive the season regardless, but they should have left, at least have given him more time. So, But I, I think that would have been an okay um, um, solution. Um, cause the last time he was on, uh, the U S you know, national team coach, he did kind of well, I think if I'm not mistaken, the world cup, um, they got to the round of 16. That's um, where we lost to Ghana an extra I, time. Yeah. So, but I mean, it, it was, it was, it, he was, he would have been a much better quick bandaid. Yeah. Um, and I think he could have done the job to at least get them to the tournament. Cause my thought was with the, whoever they brought in after Glinsman, it was going to be short term. So it was like they either make the World Cup or they don't make the World Cup. And after the World Cup, it's over. Yeah. And then he could he could renegotiate with LAFC coming on um, after the, after the summer. Yeah. And my thing is too, and I don't know if you agree or not. I think the goal should for the U.S. should just be able to get to Qatar. I mean, if they get zero points out of their group stage, so be it. Like they need to get back into the World Cup. Yeah. I mean, the big point here is is getting there. Once yeah. they get there after in this in, in 2022, I think it, it should be more or less about kind of getting out of the group because I mean, my expectations for the U S in general over the last, you know, couple, couple of years has been just get to the, get out, just get out of the group and I'm happy. You know what I mean? Yeah. They don't have to win it. They don't have, you know, but I think short term, I think you got to get to the tournament. Um, and you don't know where you're going to get in the, in the group. You could get Germany, Portugal, and Italy, and that would be hard to get out of. And, you know, something like that where they would get no, you know, get no points or one point, that would be dangerous. But and it, wouldn't be, it would be a bad look, but at least they would get to the tournament. Yeah, and, and this is my other thing, Elliot. So we're guaranteed that the U.S. will have a spot in 2026. You know, obviously host country gets it. And, like, you need to start yeah. 
building for 2026. Because if we go into 2026 and we get walloped in the group stages, people are not going to take that very well. I mean, your goal should be getting there in 2022, but at least making the round of 16 in 2026 and putting on a good showing. For God's sakes, Russia came to the tournament last year in their home country. Like, weren't they ranked 80th, if I'm not mistaken? And they even got to the round of 16. So, so Ryan, they were the lowest ranked team in the tournament um, last year, last time. Yeah. So out of all the teams that were in the tournament, they were they were they were ranked in FIFA lowest out of anybody, and they made the quarterfinals. They beat Spain and almost beat Croatia. They could have been in a semifinal. So they got it. The U.S. has to do something like that, and that necessarily means I don't know. But even like when South Korea hosted, um, I think it was two World Cups ago, they beat like Mexico. They need at least, at the very minimum, a signature win against a big team. Yep. If they are in a, in a tough group and they beat Spain, but go out, I think that's acceptable. But for 2026, I think they should at least be looking for the not, you know, the knockout stages where sort of my Agreed. expectations for them are. I mean, obviously, you know, it's different expectations for everybody because you know, three countries automatically. Obviously, they're making the World Cup instead of 32 teams to 40 teams or whatever. Obviously. And then the other thing is, but the U.S. should not – I'm not trying to bash Canada. Canada is just excited to be in the tournament. We should not have that view in 2026. Not even – 2022, okay, maybe. But 2026, we should be looking to go to the group stages. Mexico in 2026 goal should be to win the whole thing. And I know people can call me crazy whatever you want. No, they have the team to do it, especially on their home soil. You know what I mean? They build correctly. But our goal should be, one, obviously not to embarrass ourselves – and two, get to the knockout stage, and three, get that signature win. I mean, we ha- the U.S. hasn't had a signature win in the tournament since 1950 when we beat England. Well, yeah, in, in terms of, like, high stakes. They beat Mexico in the round of 16 in 02, so I think that was a signature win. But just, like, in generally speaking, I, I agree with you. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm on the same page with that. I, I, I pushed back a little bit on the Mexico thing, um, but I think the Mexicans should at least – the, the national team should at least be looking for Mexico, a semifinal at the minimum, because they've been to the round of 16 in the last six World Cups and got knocked out at exactly the same stage. So I think for them, it's just their, fir- their sh- first goal would be just getting out of there. And then the second goal is go for it. Um, but I think Mexico is much more equipped to, to do something spectacular in 2026 than we are at this moment. Um, we, need, we need more changes in the team than, than they do. Um, and I don't think it's fair. Uh, maybe it's fair. I, I don't think we sh- the U.S. should really compare themselves to Mexico right now just because we're in a – just in a different place. Oh, agreed, 100%. And it, it, back even in, like, 2010 or 2014, we I, I don't know if you agree or not, but I think we could have compared ourselves to Mexico, you know? We were getting, no, into, the, were, right. getting into the round of 16 – Right. I mean, there, there's been different for, for a long time. We should be, we should have compared ourselves to Mexico until very recently because it was like Mex to me, Mexico has always been just a little bit better than the U S outside of O2. So, but the distance between Mexico and the U S was, was minimal. Now I think it's a little bigger. Um, so for that reason, I don't think we should be comparing ourselves to Mexico, even though they're international rivals or whatever, just based on the fact that they're, they're progressing more rapidly than we are. So I think at this point in time, it's unfair for us to look at Mexico and have to sort of think of us as being, we got to do that because I think that's unrealistic. 
I think the realistic thing is getting to the tournament. This the next okay, so the next World Cup get to the tournament. I don't care if you get no points, just get there. The, the, the World Cup after that, they they need to get to the knockout stage. Anything you know below that is I think unacceptable. Oh, agreed. And I think I mean obviously I don't expect the men to win the World Cup in my lifetime because uh, kids in this country play other sports than soccer. You know, at least boys do. But right. I would, I think yeah, exactly. realistically in our lifetime, I could see the U.S. at least making a semifinal. You know what I mean? If, I don't think that's impossible. If we build correctly, though, and that's the because problem. I, I, right. I like some of the pieces that we have so right now with um, Pulisic and McKinney and uh, um, Timothy Way and then um, Tyler Adams and – some of these guys, Zach Stefan and goal, and then Yedlin and Morris and, and people like this. So there is enough talent there to get to the semifinals. But my thing is when the light turns on, how are they going to be able to do this? Because that's always been my sort of issue with the U.S. is when it's really important, they, they seem to, to not lay an egg, but underperform. And they need to be bailed out by goalkeepers, yeah. at least at some stage. That, that's sort of why- how I felt about it in the last few years. Agreed. And this is interesting because, I mean, ladies and gentlemen, we've just kind of gone off script and we're just having a conversation now. And we'll give you our top 10 um, U.S. players of all time. But, Elliot, my number two U.S. player of all time is Tim Howard. And I'm just – spoiler alert. Because, like you said, every tournament he's in, he seems to bail us out and make us better than we are. Let's, let's, let's be really honest here. In, in the Belgium game, we would have lost 6-0 if it oh, wasn't yeah. for Tim Howard. If we had any other goalkeeper, we would have got uh, embarrassed. Yeah, Tim, Tim Howard, in my opinion, could – and this is just, I think, loyalty. Tim Howard could have played at a bigger club than Everton if he wanted to. Yeah, I think so. He could have played for – I mean, I think he could play at a top five club in any uh, European country. Agreed. Um, and, you know, and that's fine. That whoever whoever you want. Everton's a big – Everton – people don't realize in this country, Everton's a big club. They have great history. Yeah. I mean, so it's not no right, and he 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 was at Man United before that, and didn't it wasn't didn't go out as well, and then he went to Everton, and I think he just fell in love with the, the city and the club that he didn't he didn't really want to leave after that, yeah. which I totally respect. Oh, and I respect that too. So he's an Everton legend, you know. But I mean, you're absolutely right. If if out for Tim Howard, we would have first of all, we probably wouldn't have made it out of the group stage in 2010 because we were in the group of death. In 2014, I mean, and then he overperformed against Belgium, and we lost an extra time, just like we did in 2010. So you know it, right? Exactly. It, it's frustrating, and you know, like, and that's to go back to our point. That's what we mean. We're not asking for players to go to these big clubs. If Jordan Morris went to Everton and excelled, I'm sure me and you would both be happy with that. Yeah. If that's, the, I think that's. The, uh... He's. I think he's good enough to at least make that move. Yeah, at least. I mean, I know Everton fans probably would probably would prefer going for someone else, but still, just a, a club. I mean, he's way too good for the MLS. It's just like he needs to be challenging himself somewhere. It doesn't necessarily need to be Everton. Just somebody, someone out there who's any European level, just a mid-level European team to a, a borderline European, uh, you know challenging team i think that's yeah. his level right now at least but this is my my other thing too is those like all like these young american players want to stay in mls and i get they want to stay home 
that it could also be a goal to come back to your hometown and play after you've dominated in Europe. Like we're not asking people to go over there and play their whole career. Give us like four or five years where you're, right. you're playing in top level competitions over there. And then if you want to come home and play in front of your right. home country, do it. Right. I would go a little further. I would say I want to see six, seven. That's just me. But Pulisic, you know, he's got, I, I, I don't know about you, but I think he's going to come to the MLS at some point. I think after, I would say a long career in Europe, just because he's too good not to uh, spend there that a long time. But I see him coming back to the MLS. Oh, I see him going. Um, maybe maybe not at the end. End. Oh, real. Oh, yeah, that makes sense because he's from Pennsylvania. Yeah, um, I see him coming home and going to Philadelphia. I mean, not not yet. And I think it'll be a long time before he comes back. But I see him as a potential person who would come back because if you ask Christian about this stuff, he's always he's always had high praise for the MLS, and he he's, he says he always he's always always pays attention to watches it. Um, so I think he would definitely be someone like that. But just even like some of these other guys who are in Europe now, uh, maybe Western McKinney will come back at some – I think these guys will come back to the MLS at some yeah, point I, if that's sort of their, their – what they envision. I, I fully expect Josh Sargent to come back and play for St. Louis at some point, but I don't expect him to now. He's at Werner, and he's tearing it up. You know, every time he comes on, it seems like he's got the ball at his feet, creating opportunities, you know. But, right, you know, like – and this is the other thing too, like – and I appreciate like putting your kids in youth soccer camps and stuff over here. Scouts from the premier league, from the Liga, you know, especially Holland, like those are some of the best academies in the world. And I think there's like a, a sense of fear almost for for parents in this country, not to send their kids over to a European Academy and get them fully developed. Would you agree with that? All right. No, hundred percent. Cause people forget Christian Pulisic went to uh, Germany when he was like 14 and yeah, uh, he, and he, he spent a whole year there where he couldn't play because of a, a work visa situation. But once he was ready, he tore it up in the um, youth academy. And I think Jurgen Klopp was there during that time. Um, he didn't. Uh, uh, Tuchel gave him his debut, but Klopp was there before. And I just think that they they valued him highly even back then. And so I think I get what you're saying though. I think I think it's it's important to sort of do that even though it's a scary situation you know it's i think it's really important for the development especially the young kid like christian yeah i mean sending your kids over to ix especially especially in like the netherlands you know and stuff england you know england has great academies you know what i mean and it's IX. not even like the yeah. you can right. you can't I, even I, make I, like I, the... go ahead i said i was just saying ix and barcelona are like two like barcelona you got to be a certain kind of special but Ajax takes any kid and turns them into something. And, he, and then they thrive and then they get sold for a large profit. So I think Ajax is, is, is a perfect example for what uh, I'd like to see from our, you know, youngsters. I'd love to, if we, we got um, some of the younger players, the team stars in, in the MLS, and, and they are not the MLS, but in, in the, the, the database, going to Ajax and learning their style of football and stuff like that. So I think that's important. Especially over there, because you learn the team style of play in Holland. They make you learn every position there. Right, and people, you need to remember that was that was a, Cruyff started his career there, and they've adopted like it's it's impossible to really adopt the same philosophies, but they have similar philosophies in terms of of the way they coach the young players because of the impact he had when he was a young player. 
Um, so for me, I think Ajax is just a perfect, it's the perfect example of what you'd like to see from a young player, from young players. So, because when, when young players go there, you know, they thrive. And I think it's down to the development they have there and, and people in charge of, of the youth system do a phenomenal job. Oh, 110%. You know, and it's, there's so many talking points that we have. We'll probably have to make this a two or three part episode. You know what I mean? But it's, it's yeah, just, it's just, there's so much wrong with the infrastructure of the MLS, you know, like the U S shut down right. the development, camp, you know what I mean? And it wasn't for the coronavirus. Yeah. Like they've been planning on doing it a long time ago. Like, what are you doing? Why are you shutting down something that you could take people and mold them into and have kids play together and come up, you know, or play against each other right. and come up? It, it makes no sense. And like, I, I respect that the MLS is trying to develop an academy system, but my problem over here too is that we have way too much pay to play. Would you agree? Yeah. We have totally agree. It's too hard to get in. People spend way too much time in high school. Like, I'm sorry, there are some people in this country that should not be going to play soccer in high school. They should be going to play for a club only team, you know what I mean? Or an academy of an MLS squad. And I get like high school right, years exactly. and stuff like that. But if you really want to train and you really want to be like, you know, on that next level, why are you not going to play in an academy? Right, exactly. I mean, that's, that's, how, that's how this needs to happen. That's why, you know, we have so many young players in other countries doing so well. Germany is the one to, to follow, though, because they take kids that are like six years old and turn them into, you know, Marco Royce and Robert Lewandowski and people like this. And um, I, I just think that's the best way about looking at this because we have a problem with here in terms of the youth part of it um, and the mentality part of it a little bit too, because if, if the, the structure was different, I'm not sure Jordan Morris would make that same decision. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the other, and we're not asking parents to send their kids away at six. No, we're just saying if they really are passionate about it and you have an MLS team by like, or a USL team, even like a lot of these clubs have academies like St. Louis FC, the USL team out here has an academy and they have a deal with Scott Gallagher, which is a big club out here. Send your kids to play for those teams, you know, like make right, them like right. from a young age. If, and people can spot talent, they just can't If the young age. And obviously if the kid's passionate about it, they have to be too, let them play against higher level competition at a young age. I mean, that's how yeah. like Germany, especially because like you said, they bring people into the youth system. And they just develop, and they develop, and they develop, and they develop, and that's why they've won four World Cups. Right. I, I, I totally agree. Yeah. All right. Well, now that we've got out of the way of our changes, um, I do want to ask you a question. Yeah. Do you rate Christian Pulisic? And we're going to get a lot of uh, heat for them. Yes and no. So let me let me explain. He's the most, probably the most talented or one of the most talented um, prospects we've ever had come out of the States. Um, but at the same time, uh, and, and let's, let me, let me just put it out there. He's a phenomenal player. He's incredibly skilled and talented, but I, I just think I'm, I'm just not, I, I don't know how to say this. I'm just not, I'm not totally sold on him yet. Um, he, he did some nice things. And in Dortmund, I really think he did a really good job there. I think he left way too soon. He did have that hat trick for Chelsea um, and stuff like that. And I think he's done reasonably well there. 
but I'm just not sold. I, I see the talent. I see the potential there. I, but I'm just, I, there's a lot of youngsters I think about before I think about him. Um, and, you know, he needs to develop a lot more. And I'm, I think he left for Chelsea prematurely. And I, ter- I personally, I know it's not sexy position, but I personally rate uh, Western McKinney and Tyler Adams above a Christian Pulisic. So that's sort of what, what I see it. I think he can be really good, but I think he's got a lot of room to grow. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sold yet. He's got to do. He's he has to, to prove to me that he's that player because talent-wise he is. But in actuality, I'm just sort of, I'm just hesitant to um, not embrace him because I'm, I'm happy that he's he's doing well. But just in terms of like, show me that you're that you're that player, and he hasn't shown me it yet. Do you think it's the American media and overhyped just the excitement that we have somebody playing for a massive club? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, guys like uh, Alexi Lawless, um, I like him, but uh, he, he, he hypes. He's, sometimes it feels like he's driving Christian Pulisic's um, hype train. Um, I mean, the, the, the funds that he went for is, are, are just out of this world. Um, and I'm glad you know people are talking about him, which is great. Um, but he's, he's just being totally overhyped based on, you know, very little. Um, I, and like I said, he's really talented, but he hasn't proven, proven yet that he can be a, a, a player that can potentially be the best at his position. And like I said, there's two other guys on the men's net, uh, youth part of it, the young players, that I think are significantly better even though we don't talk about them because they don't, they're, they're not, they don't have the hype and the, the media coverage as, as Christian. Yep. And I don't even know like how it started. Cause like McKenney, Yeldon, Tim Ream, you know, you never heard people talk about Clint Dempsey when he was over there tearing it up at Fulham, you know, it's just, we picked this one guy out to be the savior of us soccer. And he hasn't even qualified for the world cup yet, Elliot. Think right. And if that's not, that's my issue. If you're that player, if you're at that level, and if you're playing for Dortmund, you're playing the Champions League, you're scoring goals in the Champions League, you're playing with some of the best players in the world. I get that. And he, he's done well there and he did well there. But you got to give you more. I, I understand he did score the one goal against uh, Tobago. You got to give me more than that. He has to, in a game like that, he has to sort of have that, uh, like, like the late Kobe Bryant said, that Mamba mentality. Give me the ball. Get out of my way. I'm going to win this for us. And he doesn't ha- – all right, my ba- – I don't think he has a killer instinct yet. And that doesn't mean he can't have it, but um, it's just it's just different. Yeah, and, like, here, here's, a, here's one for you, Elliot. Um, you know, and people give crap for Messi about his international career. He literally willed Argentina to the World Cup in 2018 over Chile. And the winner yeah. go home game, you know. He literally – willed them to the world cup and you it seems like in the states that we've put Pulisic on the same level as a Messi or Ronaldo when it's it's not fair to him I mean I think right the media media hype to him to begin with is not fair to him because he's not that level of player he's not right like an elite goal scorer he's a nice player that can do some quality things with the ball make assists and score a couple goals and there's nothing wrong with that but he's not the future of U.S. soccer, like I think people would like him to be. All right, exactly. And, you know, I mean, we don't have that player yet. I mean, we haven't had a player like that since Clint Dempsey retired, you know? 
I mean, if you want right. to talk about the future of 100%. U.S. Clint Dempsey is the greatest um, goal scorer in U.S. history. He led Fulham to the mm. Europa League. You know, he's done stuff in Europe. Like, what? It's no respect. And he might have won a German club, but what has Pulisic really won? I mean, what has he done to make you, like, look and say, oh, yeah, he's uh, he's the top, you know, U.S. prospect, whatever. All right. But I don't know. I, I, I agree. I agree. I think uh, Tim Way, though, is is a nice piece that we can build around. And people give him a hard time for leaving PSG, but he left PSG because he's playing in Mbappe's position. Right. It's impossible to, to, you know, live up to that, especially with Mbappe. He's just – yeah, he's an alien. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I don't know. I mean, what, what do you think the real issue is, though, here? Like, why – like – what like we have this obsession that we're going to win the World Cup? Like, what do you think the real issue is here, though? That's like preventing the men from taking that next step. I think the uh, the expectation we have on them are totally unrealistic. I mean, we see, and we'll get to the women's stuff later, but we see them doing so well, and I think people have the want to have the same expectation for the men's, and it's clearly, um, you know, it's it's just not it's not real and. You're, they're firing coaches prematurely because the expectations of them doing well or doing what the women are is just out of balance. Um, but it, again, I would also go with just the fact that we're not having enough players in Europe. All of our guys need to be challenging themselves week in and week out. And um, that's just, you know, where it is right now. You know what I mean? Oh, I do know hundred percent what you mean. So here we have a couple more questions. Um, so my question for you is when you and this this is another I think a big part of you of uh, the MLS's failings. They have they haven't been able to put until recently teams in soccer hotbeds outside of like Kansas okay. City and, and you know like not even Seattle or Portland got a team till like the 2010s. So why did it take so long to put teams in soccer hotbeds because it does make a difference. Like you look at like any other sport like the best players that come out of the sport have top pro-level teams in their city. So why do you think it took so long? For In terms of what? To do what? Sorry. MLS teams just... in the soccer hotbeds. Cause that... I don't know. It's It just seems like we're um, we're in these situations right now where, like, there's there's they're literally putting MLS teams in places that don't care for the game. And, um, you know, that's the problem. And then you have – uh, LA uh, uh, Galaxy not even playing in L- Los and L- LA, they're playing Carson, um, and the, the the product is in LA. The Hispanic you know um, culture and those people are in LA, and you're I don't know. It just seems like, in some of these locations of places to put them, just seem like um, it's just like it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and. Would you agree with me? It, it makes a difference to have a top-level pro team in your town to get you passionate about it. All right. But equally, I think it's fair to say that no one expected Atlanta and Minnesota to have a great fan bases yeah. um, in the MLS. And I think those two are two of the most passionate sort of well, – at least among the most passionate fan bases in MLS soccer. But So you can, you can get lucky with, with stuff like that. 
but they need to be going out of the way and trying to orchestrate just putting these, the, just putting it in better situations where there are people who actually care about the game. Because some of these cities just don't care about the game. Um, like I don't know what what. Uh, yeah, for example, and um, FC Dallas does terrible in terms of um, uh, uh, population and for games um, and stuff like that. And I, I just think they need to they need to be putting this stuff into better situations. And I think that a lot of that is is on the on the commissioner. Um, and I think he's done a kind of a good job, but we could be going so much deeper with this. And it took too long. Um, I don't mean to steal some of your thoughts, but that we talked about before. But the Miami thing, it's, we should have had a Miami team a long time ago. Yep. You should have had a St. Louis team a long time ago. Agreed. You should have had a team in Seattle when the league started. You should have had a team in Portland when the league started. You know, I mean, look at it. Yeah. Just look at these fan bases that were so deprived. And when they, they finally got it, they show up and show out and go absolutely bananas for the sport. Right. You know? Exactly. I mean, right. it's, it's ridiculous. Like sense. people are literally losing their mind, going nuts, going bananas, whatever you want to say it in St. Louis, because we finally have an MLS team. Like the hype is real. Right. And like when season tickets go on sale, it, they'll probably sell out within the first week. You know, I mean, you, you, exactly. You, you make a big mistake by ignoring traditional soccer cities in this country. And the, right. this is the one thing that I'll agree with you on the relegation. If we had relegation and promotion, you could build clubs in all these communities and get them up to the MLS. Right. And soccer hotbeds. But unfortunately, we don't. Which goes into my other point, um, and I'm going to say this, and I know you love this when I brought it up. The person that should get the first overall – the team that should get the first overall pick in the Super Draft should be the team that is the highest point total that did not make the playoffs. Yeah. That, that I totally agree. That rewards you for trying to win because this is the only sport, only league in the world that rewards you for losing. And I get it's the American way to reward for losing. Like the NBA, you get the highest draft lottery. NFL, you get the number one pick. NHL, you get the highest points in the draft lottery. MLB, you get the number one overall pick. You can't do that with this sport, though. There has to be some consequences for losing. You, you I have totally to agree. And I, I – I, I love the NFL draft and stuff like that. And it's fun and great, but it works for their sports. It doesn't work for our sport. And if we reversed it, the opposite wouldn't work for our sport versus theirs. So I think it's important if we had something like that or, or just the point total thing you're talking about that, that just makes sense because you had this, this rewarding stuff for, for losing it's, it doesn't work in, in football or in soccer and things like that. So for, for me, I think that makes total sense and it gives, it gives some incentive to go. And, you know, it's either the relegation thing or this or something. Because I don't want to see a team just give up after, you know, a third of the season because it, they're, it's clear they're not winning. And it's also clear that, you know, they're likely to get the number one pick. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, it's, it doesn't work in our sport. And I don't think think the MLS will never be a perfect league, though. So, I mean, I'm not asking it to be perfect. Agreed. I'm just asking it to put some European philosophies in it. And I think that'd make me and you happy. Oh, I'd be, I think that'd be great. So, um, also, like, revamping the Champions League and stuff like that as well. So, Which me and you, anyway. will, we and you can get into a whole part, part about that in our second part of this episode. At some yeah, point. I agree. Uh, we'll say it for, the, for part two. Yeah. 
but before we go with part one, and thanks everybody for listening to our pod. This is kind of a new stepping stone. Would you agree? Yeah, this is different, a lot different than what we usually do. So in our um, project, but we appreciate everyone listening to that. Um, before we go, um, I do have something, a question for you. Okay. Top 10 players, men and women combined of all time. And I'll let you start. You want me to go through the whole list and then you go through it whole or, or how do you want to do it? Uh, let's do one or the other to build up the intensity and like let people think. So I do one and you do one or I do full and then you do full? I, uh, you do one, then I'll do one. All right. Uh, my, no. Um, all right. I changed my list a little bit from from um, from last time. Um, so my number ten is Alex Morgan. Um, not a big fan of her as just generally, but I think she's a great player and, and has over 100 goals for the national team. Um, just an outstanding uh, striker, one of the best of the generation. And um, as much as I'm not a fan, she deserves to be on this list. Um, number ten, I have Brian McBride. He's the first player, like, other than Alexi Laws, to go over to Europe. Um, he has his own bar named after him in Fulham, like, in the stadium. Um, he won Fulham Player of the Year. He was dominated for our national team, and he's currently the general manager. So, the first guy to really make the transition over to New York needs to be on the list. So, Brian McBride. All right. Um, n- number nine for me is Brianna Scurry, the best goalkeeper in the history of women's soccer. Um, I don't think that's even a little debatable. Um, came up really big in 99. The penalty shootout has been consistent. When she was at her best, she was one of the best in the world. So I think that one just goes without saying. Um, I got Brianna Scurry, too, for all the reasons you said. All right. Sounds good. Um, let's see. I got at number eight, someone else I'm not a big fan of, but who's phenomenal, Megan Rapino. I was really good uh, in the 2015 World Cup. I think that tournament for her was better than the one that she had this year. Um, she's a leader. Um, she's she's a phenomenal player, really good midfielder. Three assists in the World Cup final uh, in 2015. Um, scored, in, and even though it was a penalty in, in the final this year, I think she's great. I think she's phenomenal. Not a big fan of her personally, but as a player, she's, she's, she's just excellent. Number seven for me is Alex Morgan. Um, 100 goal scorers. We're on eight, actually. So number eight for me is Alex Morgan. 100 goals for the U.S., two-time world champion, Olympic gold medalist, um, probably one of the best pure goal scorers I've seen in both sides, in either men's or women's football in a long time. All right. I got number seven. I I initially on this list had Christian Pulisic on number seven. But last night after we uh, practiced uh, this podcast, I thought about it, and I just – I want to see more before I put him on this elite list. Um, That's just me personally. So – my number seven is Brian McRide also. Um, great player. Had a, had a rough start in his European career at at, um, at Wolfsburg. Then went to the MLS, started to, to, you know, make his skills stronger. Then went to Fulham with Dempsey and, and was phenomenal there. And just on top of that, was a great player for the men's national team and also really intelligent guy um, since, since playing. And he's just... I think she's just a phenomenal player and has to be on this list. So my number seven is Brian McBride. All right. Um, my number seven is Maggie Rapino, Ballon d'Or winner, two-time world champion, was dominant in the 2015 and 2020 World Cup, uh, 2019 World Cups. Um, probably the best women's player of this generation, minus Carly Lloyd, because I know we both have her really high on the list. But, yeah, Maggie Rapino, just a quality all-around player. 
All right, my number six is Tim Howard. Um, we talked about him already. Everton legend, a Premier League legend. Could have played for many top teams around Europe, uh, but I appreciate the way he stayed. And the Belgium game is, I think, is the epitome of who Tim Howard was as a player. A team that was totally outclassed against the Golden Bell uh, generation of Belgium, and he held them off as long as he possibly could. And I think that that goes a long way in terms of his legacy. So my number six is Tim Howard. My number six is Carly Lloyd. She's the best stri striker and best player of this generation of U.S. women, multiple world champion, gold medalist. Um, I don't think you could say any more about her. Um, this ladies team that we've had recently is phenomenal. Agreed. Uh, I got I got Carly Lloyd at number five. Um, just a different class to what we've seen for this, at least this generation. I don't think anyone comes close to her in terms of her, her productivity, you know, on the national team. And she, she went through a lot to get to this level. And um, it's, been, it's been a challenging journey for her, but she has lived up to all the expectations, the hype surrounding her. Just a phenomenal player who I think is a little bit underrated, especially in this generation with some of the other players. But Carly Lloyd was just a different class. Uh, my number five is Clint Dempsey. Um, best goal scorer in U.S. men's national team history, dominated at Fulham, took him to the Europa League final, beat Juventus 6-1 to famously. Um, probably the second best men's player of all time, in my opinion. So number five would be Clint Dempsey. My number four is Clint Dempsey. In my estimation, the greatest U.S. men's player of all time. Um, for all the reasons Ryan said, the Fulham thing at Fulham Juventus thing is important. Uh, he's the all, Fulham's all-time leading goal scorer and only was there for six, six or seven years, uh, did well with Spurs, came back in the MLS and did well again. And, and just a, in, in terms of internationally, he's got the same amount of goals that, as Landon Donovan with less games. It really shows his unbelievable quality and just an outstanding player. At his best, he was one of the best players, at least in conversation of his position in, in Europe. Yep, and my number, um, my number four is Tim Howard. Um, he's the best men's player in U.S. history. Um, the Belgium game speaks for itself. Dominated in Europe, played over 400 matches at Everton. So my number four is Tim Howard. All right, my number three, my last three are all women. Same. Uh, my number three is Christine uh, Christine Lilly. Uh, famously scored the penalty that won the. Um, 99 World Cup against China, a really phenomenal player. Again, a really underrated player who has so much ability and skill set, uh, did tremendously well defensively and offensively. Not the sexiest player to watch in terms of her style, but she was efficient and she was a great leader. And um, I believe she has the most caps out of any uh, player, men or women, in the history of, of, of international American soccer. So she's my number three. My number three, and I know I might get heat for this one, is actually Abby Wambach. Um, she bridged the gap for um, the old woman's teams with Christine Lilly and Mia Hamm up until the current um, generation. Um, I left her off the list completely last night. I redid my list. Um, she won the World Cup in 2015, Olympic gold medalist in 2012. Um, I don't necessarily appreciate some of her comments she's made in recently, but she really was the bridge in between the gap. She held that team together. So my number three would be Abby Wambach. Yeah, I, I don't think I agree with that, but I, I get where you're coming from. Sure. I can't put her on my list for obvious reasons, and I, I'm trying to be totally unbiased, but this is one I just can't. 
negotiate myself on just because of the, and that's the situation. But anyway, my, yeah, I, I just, because of what she said, and we'll talk about this later, I just, as you know, who I am, um, I couldn't, I couldn't put it on the list because of what she said. Um, had she not said those things, she would be really high on my list. I'm just, I'm just trying to uh, paint the full picture here. Um, number two, Julie Foudy, uh, one of the best defenders of this generation. Uh, great leader. Could and also supplied some stuff offensively. Was basically the uh, the one-two punch for me and him, um, at least in some aspect. And I think she's just uh, she's just incredibly underrated, also, and just a, a phenomenal player who's who really achieved greatness at many levels. My number two is uh, Christine Lilly for the goal she scored against China. Um, it's the most iconic moment in U.S. soccer history. Um, she did a bunch of other things for the national team, won two World Cups. So my number two is Christine Lilly. And I think we both know who our number one is. So go ahead. Yeah. All right. So my number one is Mia Hamm. Just let me just say this. So there's there's there are aliens in football. There's Messi, there's Ronaldo, and there's Mia Hamm. Those are the only three aliens in this sport to date at this moment. Mia Hamm is in a class with those two guys, and she is just a different level of quality. The best player of all time, not even close. The greatest player of all time, not even close. The most impactful player of the line, it's not even close. At, at college level, she had 100 goals in like three seasons. At the national level, she has scored over 100 goals. Just the greatest thing we've ever seen in the history of women's soccer. Her goal record will probably be broken at some stage. But her impact in the game can't be understated or re-put together in any way. She's just – she is American soccer. Mia Hamm, for all the reasons you said. I, I don't think I can do better than that. And she is absolutely up there with the Messi's and Ronaldo's of this world. Yeah. Yeah. If, I think if you made an all-time list of the greatest footballers ever, she would probably be number two on my list. I um, agree too. I, I don't think very comparable. I don't. I don't think anybody could argue against Messi. But if you could bring any player up to argue against him, I think she's the only one. Agreed. Messi's Messi's an outlier. He's. I don't think he'll ever be overtaken as the best ever. He's clearly the greatest of all time. But and so it's, it's, I think it's hard for me to co I compare them just because Messi was doing what he's doing now at six years old, and and he's just different. But outside of Messi, I don't think there's another player who's been as good. Because just because she kind of plays like him too, in a, in a certain way as well. Um, and is it? I mean, she was just different class. But you put anyone else against her, I I take I like her chances. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for listening to part one. Um, me and Elliot will discuss when part two is coming out. Um, we're doing a whole series on the U.S. national team, both men and women. Um, on the next episode, we're going to discuss how to reformat the Champions League and Concacaf in South America. So thank you so much mm -hmm. for listening and we'll talk to you on uh, Friday, uh, Saturday when we put out a regular episode. Have a good day guys.